Well, good morning. I'm excited about the opportunity to share God's Word with you today. Uh, this has been a, a passage that's been encouraging to my heart recently as I think about the struggles that we have as believers and how God's Word helps to encourage us and help us to know how to live in the world that we, that we live in and the struggles that we have. I think as I was reading through these verses, uh, the verse that stood out to me is right in the middle there, right at the end of um, chapter 7, uh, verse 25, where Paul writes, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you read through these verses on the struggle that Paul had in his inner man between his flesh that wanted to do what was wrong and his heart that wanted to do what was right because God was working in his heart because he knows, knows Christ and Christ is in him. Uh, that's such an encouraging thought that we don't have condemnation, but thanks to God because of his wonderful deliverance for us. I think sometimes it's easy to forget about the deliverance that we have in Christ. Uh, sometimes perhaps we even forget about deliverance that we experience from day to day. Maybe you had uh, an experience like that on the way here this morning. Maybe you slipped a little bit and you weren't sure where your, your vehicle was going to end up and you were thankful that it didn't end up in the wrong spot where you weren't planning for it to. Um, I like to go out on runs a few times a week and uh, often go with some of my neighbors, we have a kind of a group of guys that text each other about getting together a few mornings a week to run. And one of my fears as I run is uh, coming up to intersections, particularly where uh, the cars are turning right and I'm coming up from this direction because typically if you're turning right, you're not thinking to look right, you just look left, make sure the traffic's clear and then you go. So I'm always really cautious about coming up to an intersection like that. And uh, one morning, maybe two and a half months ago or so, it was on my wife's birthday, when I looked back, I realized, and uh, we had gone up to the top of this hill and there were several cars coming different directions, and I looked and saw that the cars had been turning right and there weren't any more cars coming, so I was glad about that. So I took a step out into the road and my neighbor reached out with his arm and grabbed me and pulled me back. And uh, then, he, then I looked and saw that I'd been so focused on the right-hand turning people, I didn't realize the light was green and traffic was just coming through the, the street on a regular basis. And uh, so I should have been paying better attention, but then I, actually by the time I got back from the run, I didn't even think about it. I forgot about that. And, and uh, when I came and was reading through this passage, it came back to my mind and I thought, you know, it's so easy for us to forget the deliverance that's happened in our lives. So this, you might be like, well, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but, you know, if I'd stepped out in front of a car, that could have had a big impact on my life at that point. Um, it was my wife's birthday, so she probably would not have appreciated uh, me doing that, not being careful, and uh, getting into an incident like that. So I was very thankful for that, but I, I forgot about it. And as we look at what Paul is talking about in chapter 7, we have this struggle within us, this turmoil, that we think, well, I want to please God, but it's really hard. And we tend to forget the deliverance that Christ has worked for us because we're just focused on, right now, the struggle that it is 
to follow what God tells us to do, and it's hard for us. And that's an experience we have because, as Paul's going to talk about, we still have a flesh that's still trying to get us to do what, what it wants us to do. And, and we still struggle with this sin nature that's in us. But Paul encourages us with the words that Christ has delivered us. And then, I didn't stop at the end of chapter 7 as I, I went through this passage, because the Spirit gives us life. And it's so encouraging to us that we have the Spirit that's giving us that life as we think about trying to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And we have that struggle God's Holy Spirit works in us and gives us life. So I hope today, as we look through these verses, you'll be encouraged to thank God for his deliverance, and then it will have the same impact on you that looking back for me and thinking about what my neighbor did for me and stopping me from getting run over by a car early in the morning when I wasn't paying enough attention, um, that you will be so thankful for what Christ has done for you in delivering you from the power of our sin nature that you will be able to depend on his spirit to experience the life that you have if you have trusted in Christ for salvation. So we're going to start at the beginning of this passage here in uh, Romans 7, verse 7, and look at what Paul is talking about. And I think in, in verses 7 through 25, he points out that the sin that is in us appears to kill us. It appears to have this power over us. And he's speaking... Uh, as a believer here, there's actually a bit of discussion about that uh, as people look at this passage and kind of say, well, is he talking as a Christian? Is he talking about before he knew Christ as his Savior? Uh, because obviously we struggle with sin before we know Christ, um, but we struggle with it as well after. And some of the things he's going to point out in here indicate that he has a desire to please God. He wants to follow him. And in other parts of Romans and throughout the New Testament, we see that it's clear that we're not going to seek God on our own. We don't want to follow God on our own. And so it's clear that, that Paul does know Christ as his Savior, that, that God's Spirit is working in him to give him this desire to obey. But just as I'm sure you all have experienced and I've experienced, we don't always make the choices that we ought to. We don't live lives in the way that we ought to. And so we need God's help. We need to, to see his deliverance here. So sin appears to kill us. And one of the ways that it, that it does this is it, the law reveals our sinfulness to us. Now, before we give the law a bad reputation, Paul clarifies that right at the beginning. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? He says, may it never be. So he's going through and talking about the law and talking about how it reveals that we're sinful. And so we say, well, maybe it's the law's fault. Maybe if we didn't have a law, we wouldn't be sinful. But he says, no, no, that's not the solution. He says, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. So what he's talking about is, without the law that God has communicated to us, we wouldn't know that there's a God who wants to have a relationship with us, who's created us. So it's not the law that's the problem. So that I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so without God communicating to him the way that his, his mind should be thinking, the way that his heart should be thinking through the law, he wouldn't have known how to have a right relationship with God. But then verse 8, it says, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Maybe as you've matured, 
Not as much, but maybe there's still a little bit of an inkling that. You see a sign that says, don't do this. And you think to yourself, why? Wouldn't it be fun to do that? Maybe I should try that. Maybe I'm missing out on something. Well, if you think back to the Garden of Eden, that's exactly what Adam and Eve experienced. S Satan said to them, hey, this is better than what God has to offer you. You're missing out. You need this. And so when we hear a law, that kind of grates against us. We think, I want to do what I, w what I feel like doing, not what this, this sign tells me not to do. I want to I experience whatever I'm missing out on because of this law that's here. And so Paul points out to us that this is a struggle that we all experience. It says that, it take, that sin takes opportunity through the commandment. This is referring to the sin that dwells in us, in our nature, because we've inherited it from Adam and Eve. And it says, For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. In a way, he's talking about what he experienced before he knew the law. It was sort of like maybe ignorance is bliss. He was like, I can live the way I want to and not feel guilty about it. That's not a problem. Now, we know that there's a conscience in our hearts, and there are things that we understand that there's an there's a understanding that it's wrong. But as we think about it, God's clearly revealed law comes to us, and we realize how sinful we are. And so God's word reveals our sinfulness, and then we realize how bad it is that we haven't been following it. And then verse 10, this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. So God said, here's the law. On these, the basis of these standards, you can be right with me. You can come to me. And so it offers life. It says, if you follow this, you can come to God. But the problem is that we can't follow it. We are sinful. And so we don't follow it. And it proves to result in death for us because the, the wages of our sin, the wages of breaking God's law is death. And so then it says, sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the sin nature that dwells in our hearts caused us to not uh, want to follow what God says. So we rebelled, we disobeyed God. And then his, his conclusion then is that the law is holy and that the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So it's not the law that's the problem here. So when we sin, we can't say, well, if God didn't have a law, then we'd be fine. Because what the problem is, is the sin nature that's in our hearts. So he then directs our attention to that sin nature. He says, look at the sin nature that dwells in us. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. So it's not the law that caused our death, but rather sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. So the law reveals sinfulness, but it doesn't cause us to sin. So, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. It would become clear that our sinfulness is just overwhelming. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. He refers again back to the sin nature that's in our flesh. And there's nothing that we can do to fix it. If you look back, probably just one page in your Bible to Romans 6, 6, 
Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So the truth is that we, are, we no longer have to be enslaved to sin. But then look at verse 11. It says, You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we have this problem. We aren't slaves to sin anymore, but we still consider ourselves. At times, we don't think the right way, and we consider that we're still slaves and that we still have to obey that. It's kind of like if you switched jobs. You switched to a new job, and you're going to your new employer, but then every day, at the time that you were supposed to show up at your old job, you still went back and clocked in and worked for that employer too. That employer has no contract with you anymore. You don't have to go and work for them again. But you have to understand that. You can still show up there, but that employer doesn't force you to. And sometimes, as our sin nature is that's in us seems to have this control over us, we feel like we have to go back and do what is wrong. But Paul is saying, no, that's not what we have to do. We are in bond we're not in bondage like we were before. Then verse 15 of chapter 7, it says, For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. So Paul has this struggle in us. So, any of you, if you have trusted in Christ, and then done something wrong, or sinned, have experienced this. And that would be all of us. We have experienced the fact that we don't want to do it. God is working in our hearts, and we, we know that it's wrong, but we still struggle with it. But Paul has good news for us. And that's going to be the conclusion that he draws, is that we don't have to give in to it. In verse 16 he says, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. He's showing, demonstrating that what's right is God's standard. And that's what's true. It says, So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now Paul's not saying... It's not my fault. It's the sin that, that dwells in me. Uh, my wife had a, had a sibling that would attribute the things that were wrong that he had done to a small green toy. And so if something happened bad, something that he wasn't supposed to do, he would say, that little toy did it. That's not my fault. The little green toy did it. Uh, but that's, we, we look at that and we think, that's a funny example. But Paul's not saying that here when he says, that sin is, it's sin's fault. It's not my fault. He's saying my sin nature that dwells in me still is the thing that's pulling me to do these things. And so it's not, it's not my desire now that God has changed my heart to do these things, but I still have this old sinful flesh that's on me that causes me to do this. And it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So we've experienced this struggle that we want to do what's right, but it's hard. Those of you who are younger and still in your homes with your parents, you've probably experienced this. Your parent asks you to do something, and you're like, I really would kind of like to do it, but I just don't feel like it. So I'm going to go do this thing over here that I'm, I know I'm not supposed to, but you're, you still feel bad about it. You still might feel like, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but you give in and you do the wrong thing. It says that I'm willing to do the right thing, but doing the good, I can't do it. And then verse 19, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, 
I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. He's saying, if Christ has crucified my flesh, if my sin is condemned by Christ, and I don't have to do it, then it's not that I can't do it anymore. It's that I have this old sinful flesh that's hanging around and pulling on me. It's, it's like a chain around my neck, and it's pulling me, and I'm giving in to do it, even though I shouldn't have to. It's the sin which dwells in me. So the law shows our sinfulness, but it's not the law's fault that we are sinning. It's our sinful flesh that's in us. It's a part of us. We still have a sin nature. So while we live on this earth, before we get to glory, to be with the Lord forever in the new heaven and the new earth that he creates, we have this old nature that's still a struggle. And that's what pulls on us. That's what discourages us as we try to follow what God has for us. But here's the good news. The end of this chapter has the most amazing news for us as we experience that struggle. So it's kind of like, here's the good news of the truth that's coming after the bad news that we are struggling with sin over and over again. We struggle with our attitudes. We struggle with the way we respond to each other. We struggle to obey what God has told us to do. So here's the good news, is that only Christ can deliver us. Why is that good news? Because we've just been talking about that if we try to do it, we fail. So we need someone else to help us. Why is it so popular that we have uh, superhero stories, that people that can come and rescue and deal with all the problems? Because we know inside of us that we can't fix our own problems. We need someone else to do it. And so it's wonderful to have a story of someone who comes in and saves the day for everyone. And we love those kinds of stories. Because in a way, they point to something in our hearts that we know that there needs to be someone to save us. And what, what greater problem do we have than our sinfulness that we need saved from? And Christ can deliver us. And that's the wonderful news we find here at the end of chapter 7. He says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. So there's this principle, this truth, that evil is in me. Okay, that's what he's just worked through as he's, he's logically gone through all of these different concepts about the law and his sin nature. So there's evil inside of us. That's kind of bad news. But it says the one who wants to do good. So in me, the one who wants to do good, there's still evil in me. So we've got to figure out what to do about that. And it says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. So inside of me, I know what I need to do. And I really want to follow what God says. I want to please Him. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. So the law here is used as the idea of principle. It's that there's this, this conflict going on. There's the principle that the sinful flesh is there. And it's at war with my inner man that wants to follow God, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So I'm in bondage to this sin still. I'm still trying to fight it off. And he says, you're going to say, you said there was good news. And then Paul says, wretched man that I am. That doesn't sound like good news. Well, we're almost there. There's good news right at the end here. It says, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Someone's going to do it. This body of death, this sinful flesh that we fight against, someone can deliver us. So don't be discouraged. It says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So who's the one that's going to deliver us? Jesus Christ. 
And God is the one who provided him to deliver us from these struggles that we have. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So there's this conflict back and forth, but the good news is that Christ is going to deliver us. Only he can deliver us. The bad news would be if we had to try and do it, because we fail over and over again. We can't deliver ourselves. So we have this hope that Jesus is going to help us. So, if you live in your home with your parents, and they tell you to do something, and you've been struggling to follow what they say, the good news is that Jesus can deliver you from that struggle. He can help you to obey what your parents are saying. We'll get to how in just a second. But that's the wonderful news that Christ can deliver us. Perhaps you have your own home, and you are going to work on a regular basis, and you have to deal with someone at work that is not a fun person to be around. And the responses that you tend to struggle with are not responses that demonstrate love for your neighbor. Even though your neighbor might be a really mean person to be around at work, your coworker might be really difficult, you still ought to love them. But it's a struggle because you have this sinful flesh. Or maybe you're at home watching over your kids and it's hard to respond day in and day out when they do things that you are not telling them to do or do things that you tell them not to do and that's hard and you want to give up or you want to say, why do I have to keep saying this over and over again? And Christ can deliver you from that sinful flesh. Or maybe you're in school and you just want to have a break. You don't want to have to keep doing school over and over again until you get a diploma that's going to help you to go out into the workplace and find a job that you want. Maybe that's a struggle for you. Whatever things are going on in your life, whatever trials that you might be experiencing that God has put in your life, Christ can deliver you from the wrong kind of thinking and help you have the right kind of thinking and respond in a way that's pleasing to God. Christ can deliver you from this sinful flesh. We don't have to be in bondage. We see the title there in chapter 8, Deliverance from Bondage. The wonderful news that we can have deliverance. So sin appears to kill us. As you go through this whole list of Paul arguing back and forth, talking about the law and his sinful flesh and the sin nature that he's fighting against, it looks like the sin is having the victory and it's going to defeat him. In, on June 3rd, in Syracuse, New York, there was a lady walking back from work on a Thursday night, and she almost tripped over a person who was laying on the sidewalk. And for a moment, she thought the person was maybe dead. They were non-responsive. But as she settled down and looked, she realized that the person might still be alive. There might be some hope for this person. So she called 911, and first responders came and performed CPR. And then later on, an officer told her that if she had not called 911 and gotten some help for this person, they probably wouldn't have survived. But that person was still alive. There was still hope for them. And so just like that person laying on the sidewalk there, appearing like there's no hope, maybe this last week you felt like that. You failed again. You sinned. You, you did what you know God didn't want you to do. You disobeyed your parents, or you responded in a way that wasn't pleasing to the Lord in a difficult situation. Well, there's hope. Christ offers deliverance. There is life. And as a believer, we don't have any doubt that there's life. If Christ has saved you, there is life inside of you. And so, there's hope. 
And so if you're discouraged by failing in sin, if you think about your life and you, you just feel like there's, you keep making mistakes, you keep messing up, you know that what you're doing, not just mistakes, but you're sinning. You're doing things that you know you ought not to. And the truth is that each one of us, if we actually take a look at our lives, experiences that. We sin and we struggle. And the hope that we have to, that, that Christ offers to us is that He has delivered us from that and that one day He'll deliver us completely. But right now, chapter 8 tells us that we have the Spirit inside of us that gives us life. It offers us wonderful hope. He offers us wonderful hope. So if you're discouraged by your sin, I hope you're excited about these next few verses because God's Spirit gives us life. And this isn't just a possibility. This is a guarantee. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, Therefore, based on all the things I've been saying up to this point, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you feel condemned, if you feel discouraged, here it is. There is no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. And why is that? Because there's another law. You might be saying, how many laws are in this passage? It's everywhere. So many laws. But there's a law, there's a principle here that the law of the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit in you, in Christ Jesus, has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So you might be feeling condemned. You might be feeling like, I can never defeat this sin. I'm never going to be able to uh, deal with this. The truth is, on your own, you can't. But the great news is, the spirit of life is in us. So the spirit gives us life. He delivers us from condemnation. And how does he do that? It says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. So the law said, here's how you can be right with God. But it had to deal with us, our sinful flesh, and we can't live up to God's standard. But God accomplished something that none of us could do. God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. And what did He do? He condemned sin in the flesh. Christ did it for us. Something that we can't do, Jesus did it for us. And that's why Paul says, thanks be to God, and, and gives us this wonderful truth that there's no condemnation. Now, what does it mean when he says he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh? What if it said he sent his son in sinful flesh? Could Christ have condemned sin if he participated in it? No. He sent it in the likeness. He came as a man, just like us, with a body that had frailty and weakness, but he didn't sin. He lived a perfect life, and that gave him the ability to come as an offering for our sin. So Christ lived a perfect life, so that when God looks at you, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, he doesn't see the mistakes that you made this last week when he says, are you going to be able to, to be with me forever? Are you my child? He looks at you, and instead of seeing your life, he sees Jesus' perfect life. So if you're discouraged about your sin, take this encouragement. It's not your life, what you do, that matters for your salvation. It's what Christ did for you. And he's delivered you from this condemnation. Christ condemned sin in the flesh so that it doesn't have power. So, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Wait a second. How, how can the requirement of the law be fulfilled in us? 
We didn't do it. But it's because God's Spirit works in us and gives us the ability. It says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, you say, wait a second. I, I know that Christ died for me and, and He lived a perfect life, but I can't live a perfect life, so how can this law be fulfilled in me? Well, it's through the Spirit that we can actually live in a way that's pleasing to God. That's not so we get credit. God is the one who gets the glory for it, but God's Spirit works in us. It says, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So the Spirit is delivering us from condemnation by working in us. It says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds according, set the minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Does that sound good to you? Would you like to have life and peace? Those are the things that we're looking for. Those are the things that everyone is looking for. We want life and peace. And how do we get that? Well, a mind that is set on the Spirit. It says, Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, this is wonderful news. He's writing to those who know Christ as their Savior. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So there's this, this wonderful news that the Spirit is in us, and that we're not condemned because the Spirit delivers us from condemnation. And now the Spirit is going to deliver us not just from the condemnation. So that's the feeling that we, we are sinful and realizing our sinfulness, but then not recognizing the fact that God has delivered us, but He's going to deliver us from something else, even better. He's not just going to deliver us from this feeling of condemnation and discouragement, which would be wonderful, but we still fail and we still sin. He's also going to deliver us from this flesh, that hangs around our neck and pulls us in and tries to get us to sin and to give in to it. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect because that's the whole reason Paul wrote the last part of chapter 7 is he struggles. But we can have deliverance through the Spirit. There is that possibility and the Spirit will deliver us from our flesh. So look at verses 9 through 11 here. It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So here's the thing. If you know Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you already have what you need to be able to not live in subjection to this flesh. It says, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you are God's. But... If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. It says, verse 10, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. So you look, and there's this struggle, there's this deadness, the sinful flesh, but our body struggles with that, but our spirit is alive because of righteousness, if Christ is in us. And listen to this. This is so wonderful. Verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, what is our ability to follow what God tells us to do based on? Is it based on our 
going back and forth, sometimes struggling with sin, sometimes we do a little better. Is that what it's based on? No. The power to respond the right way to the, those in authority over us when parents say, hey, I need you to go clean your room. And you don't feel like it. The power to do it comes from the spirit that's inside of you. And what is that power based on? It's based on the very foundation of our faith in Jesus. It says, He, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Wait a second. This same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? If this spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, I think he can help us do what's right. I think he can help us live in the way that we ought to. And that's exactly what Paul says. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He gives life. Is he talking about in the future when we were in heaven and we're perfect? When we're with Christ forever, for all eternity? He says he gives life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who dwells through his spirit who dwells in you. Right now, we can experience the life that God wants us to. That doesn't mean that we'll have millions of dollars in our bank account and we'll never have a, a worry again in, the whole, in our whole lives and everything will be perfect. No, it's a life that's so much better than that. Nothing against, you know, having a lot. That's fine if, if the Lord chooses to bless you in that way. But the life that we ought to seek is this life, the life where the Spirit is working in us and we can live in a way that's pleasing to God. We need this life, the Spirit. We need to recognize the Spirit is working in us and depend on Him to be able to defeat the sinful flesh. Rely on His help. Ask God for the help to be able to live in a way that's pleasing to Him because He's given us this Spirit and be confident that it's there, that He will empower us to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Sometimes I think it's easy to forget the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. But he's there, just like you breathe oxygen in and out, and you don't, well, you breathe carbon dioxide out. As you breathe oxygen in, you don't even think about it, really. It's just there. I recently uh, was, heard a story uh, that happened a number of years ago um, when a, a huge party of people went up to the top of Mount Everest. I don't know if you all have ever aspired to go to a mountain that high. But one of the things up there that you have to keep in mind is that you need oxygen. And there's this debate among people who go up there a lot. Some of the people who are really uh, trained well and go up there, they prefer not to take oxygen with them because if they're used to having the oxygen, they can become dependent on it. And then if for some reason they, they don't have any, their bodies aren't ready to uh, still operate as they should. And so it puts them in danger. But a number of years ago, in the, in the worst incident that happened, um, there were a number of people that, that were not able to make it back down the mountain because there was a storm that hit. But part of the reason that they all went up there to the top of this mountain and felt like everything was fine and they were willing to push it a little bit, knowing that as it gets dark, storms tend to come and there tends to be issues that arise. They don't make it back down if they don't get back down quickly enough. You know, if you think about it, you've been preparing for years, perhaps five or ten years, to be able to make it to the top of the mountain, and you get to maybe like an hour from the top, and you're almost there, you really want to push it to get there, but they had this oxygen on, and they thought, you know, we're going to be okay. We can make it to the top. 
But in one of the greatest disasters that happened, there were a lot of people, even trained people, that didn't make it back down the mountain because they were trying to help everyone get back down because people got dependent on the oxygen, weren't really thinking about the fact that it was there, and then when they ran out, they couldn't make it back down. And I think a lot of times we just assume, we're like, well, God's Spirit is there, you know, He's, He's, He's working in us, that, that's fine. But we just go on through life trying to live on our own strength, trying to live on our own power, and we forget that God's Spirit is necessary to help us to be able to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so, as we look at passages like this one here in Romans 8, we ought to be encouraged and look to the Spirit for help. Pray, ask God for His help, and depend on Him daily to be able to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. And don't just depend on Him saying, you know, please help me, but be confident that He will, that His Spirit works. And His Spirit uses His Word. So, look into God's Word for the power to be able to obey Him. But when you face that struggle back and forth, like Paul did, where you, you say, I feel pretty rough this week. I had a bad week as far as you know, following the Lord or walking with God. I sinned a lot. I failed a lot. And you start to wonder, am I actually dead? Am I, uh, do I not have the life of Christ in me? Remember, if you have trusted in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. There's no condemnation for you. There's hope. The Spirit gives life. But I do want to mention another thing, too. As we looked at verse 9, it says at the very end, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So there's a possibility. There's two possibilities today. One is that you know Christ is your Savior, and you can experience this, this no condemnation. You're, you're not going to be held accountable for the sins that you've committed because you've said, I'm giving to Christ... I'm going to, uh, I've accepted the gift of eternal life, the death that he died in my place in paying for my sins, so I don't have to pay for them. So you're not going to have to pay for those sins. And that's wonderful. And God has put his spirit in you. And you can live in a way that's pleasing to him as you depend on his spirit. But what if you say, well, I don't actually have his spirit. I don't belong to Christ yet. Well, there's wonderful news for you too. And the wonderful news for you is that even though the wages of our sin is death and separation from God, God offers a gift of eternal life through Christ. So it's nothing that you can do, but Christ offers life to you, the same life. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've been feeling condemned because you are condemned, because you haven't depended on Christ for salvation. And today you have the opportunity to ask God to save you from your sinfulness. And he will do that. Christ died on the cross so that we can have the opportunity to accept the work that he did. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, think about the fact that you need to accept that gift so that you can experience this life and not have to struggle back and forth without any help. Yes, we struggle as believers, but we don't have to do it without help. We don't have condemnation. And so that's the wonderful news that Paul gives to us in this passage, that we can have hope. That even though it appears that our sin nature is killing us, there's no hope for us, the Spirit gives us life. There's no condemnation. So what's our response? Thanks to God. What does Paul say? He says, thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord, so we can thank God for the work that he has done for us. Let's pray and do that now and thank him for the deliverance that he offers and ask for his help to depend on his spirit, to experience the life that this wonderful passage tells us about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truths of your word. I thank you for the openness that Paul had in communicating the struggle that he faced. And, and oftentimes it's easy to put people that we read about in scripture on a pedestal and think, wow, that person must have never had the same kind of struggles that I have. But it's wonderful to be encouraged by the fact that we all struggle with our sin, but there's hope because of what you have accomplished, that you have given us deliverance through your Son, Christ, and through your Spirit as he comes to dwell in us. And so I ask this week that you would help us to depend on your Spirit, that as we struggle with our sinful flesh, we wouldn't just do it on our own, but that we would ask for your help, that we would depend on the work that you have done in saving us. And I pray that if there is anyone here today who doesn't know this saving work, who hasn't experienced this salvation that Christ offers, that you would help that person to, to know the hope that you offer and the life that you offer, and that they would be willing to, to come to you, that you would work in their heart to help them to turn to you for salvation, to be able to experience the life and peace that we can experience by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.